Amen. Thank you, Aaron and praise team, the excellent work you've been doing for these months. Uh, I don't know about you, Aaron, this is probably like one of the few times you worship with your family uh, for the first, this is the third time I think in the last five months that I've gotten to worship with my family. So if you hear, um, you know, screaming or someone running around, we're going to try to uh, minimize that, but Isaiah and Leighton and Sterling are here today. So uh, Sterling, how old are you, buddy? How old are you now? Are you four? Yeah, he's four. Yeah. You're a big boy. Yeah. My four-year-old's here as well, so you guys uh, are doing great. You're doing great so far. It's good to see uh, all your faces, uh, what I can see of them at least, but uh, this is an exciting day. It's like a whole new day for our church. It's almost like a start over. Uh, we had a, one of our deacons who wore shorts today, and I said, that's great. I love it. And his wife said, I told him, just do it. It's a new day. And I said, that's right. It's a new day here at Woodmont. It's almost like a church plant starting over again. And it's so similar to the book of Acts. What we see in the book of Acts is a church that's just trying to figure out how to be the church. And that's what we're doing as well. All of us have kind of been lumped into that boat. I love the, the history of Acts, how it's a narrative that just picks up where we left off each week. I, I feel like we should hire like Ed Fulcher or somebody with a great voice to, you know, previously in the book of Acts. Uh, last week we saw Peter escape a uh, death sentence and miraculously delivered from prison. And today we're going to see Peter on the island of Cyprus, and Paul and Barnabas on the island of Cyprus, and encountering a magician, a terrible magician, <laughs> something like that. And then last week, we kind of had a break. We had a parenthetical uh, story, uh, really. We were seeing the church move out from Jerusalem into the world, but last week we went back to Jerusalem to see uh, that, that prison break scene with Peter and the angel. And that, that was to remind the church in Jerusalem and us as well that we have this miraculous power. There's nothing our God cannot do. Nothing. Nothing is too far for him. Nothing is too difficult for him. We have miraculous power, wonder-working power available to us through the name of Jesus. It's supposed to be an encouraging word. And then remember two weeks ago, if you can think back to chapter 11, we saw uh, how this revival broke out. Some guys evangelized in Antioch and how there was a church that was planted in Antioch and the Jerusalem church heard about it and they sent Barnabas up there to encourage the, the, the young believers and he got overwhelmed so he called in the big guns, he called in Saul of Tarsus and they went and stayed there for a year with the young church in Antioch and uh, we're going to see Antioch become a hub for missions. And something happened at the end of chapter 11. Uh, the church in Antioch heard there was a famine for the, the, the Jerusalem area down in Judea. So they took up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 29. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Have you ever been the bearer of a good gift? It's a nice thing to think about. This, this church in Antioch had selflessly given to support their brothers and sisters uh, down in Jerusalem, and they sent Paul and Barnabas to deliver that gift. I think about, I uh, heard the stories from Calvin and Marcus about delivering those sewing machines in Lunsar and how happy uh, the local people were 
in Sierra Leone to have the gift of being able to really support themselves through industry to make clothes and to sell those clothes was so empowering and life-giving. And um, I saw those suitcases that had them in it, these huge suitcases they got to deliver to these people in Lunsar. What a beautiful gift. Acts chapter 12 uh, picks up in verse 25 with what happens when Paul and Barnabas get back to Antioch after going to Jerusalem. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they'd completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So this is John Mark. Remember him? He had the big house in Jerusalem where the believers were gathered. Um, that's where Peter went when he escaped prison. He showed up at John Mark's house. Remember that? And I'm, I'm sure that when they got back to Antioch, they told them what had happened to Peter. An angel showed up and the guards just, the chains fell off and he walked out of there past all these guards and the Roman garrisons. And they recruit John Mark to come back with them. And they have no idea that the greatest chapter in the church's mission history is about to begin. They have no idea what God's about to do. The young church at Antioch is gonna become, like I said, this sending agency for the global mission of evangelism. And the gospel's gonna go forth in power, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy in Acts 1-8, that all the ends of the earth will receive the witness of Jesus Christ. And as exciting and wonderful as that prophecy is, I don't think this young church had any idea how costly it was going to be. They, they couldn't imagine how brutal the, the whole process of spreading the gospel across the earth was going to be. It's not an easy task. One of my mentors, Bob Bird, he has some family in this church here. He taught New Testament at uh, Belmont for like 40 years or something. Uh, he said he was studying James, and he was trying to figure out what's the central question in the book of James, and he said, it's, it's this, how, how do we do church when we don't know how to do church? I said, that's very appropriate for our time. And how does James begin to answer that question? How does he start out his book in, in verse one? He says, I'm James, and then he says, verse two, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you, you meet trials of many kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He begins his message to the church by saying, it's gonna be hard. There's gonna be trials. It's gonna be tough. You know, we have no idea how to do church in this age. It's gonna be hard. I think a lot of time we, we make the mistake as Christians of trying to pretend like Christianity is easy. We try to make it more palatable or more appealing in an effort to you know, get more people to come or in order to get more people to give or whatever. So we dress up the gospel in kind of worldly terms. We, we try to use marketing strategies to make it more uh, appealing. Just accept Christ and everything will be okay. You know, follow Jesus and you can live your best life now. Those things are true actually, but we don't always explain how much it's going to cost. It's gonna cost everything. Discipleship isn't about being happy or being successful or you know, driving a nice vehicle or wearing nice clothes. That's not what the gospel's about. The gospel is a call to take up our cross. But you know why you take up your cross? Because you're going to die. 
It's a call to die to ourselves in order to be raised with Christ into a whole new kind of existence. It's not always a very popular message, but it never has been. It's always been for those who get it, who the hound of heaven has pursued and are ready to lay down their lives in order to become part of God's family. And just because you're born again, just because you accept Christ and become part of God's people, it doesn't mean that you're gonna be spared from the hard things in this world. Jesus told us in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. It's cool to like actually hear voices and not just be staring at a camera today. <laughs> Christians get sick, right? We, by the way, I, we're trying to not for you to get sick here. And I want to say thanks to Ron Landis and Nick Bushy and Braden Maffitt, our whole properties and grounds team. They installed this ionizer. And it's really cool. If you guys are into tech stuff, it's got a plasma cloud and 5,000 volts and it's killing everything that's in the air in this room right now. So that's a good thing trying to keep you safe. A lot of Christians struggle with marriages, family issues. We struggle with our finances, uncertainty about the future. What am I gonna do with my job? There's some people here I know today that are wondering, what am I gonna do? But here's the thing, if we live for ourselves, if we put ourselves at the center of our world, you actually might be spared some pain. You might actually save yourself some trouble. But you will not find any kind of life for yourself that matters. You will not find purpose or meaning. If you live for ourselves, you will un never understand what it's like to be a part of God's plan. Some of the greatest Christians in history could have saved themselves a lot of heartache, a lot of trouble over their lifespans if they just lived for themselves but then they never would have been used in the mighty ways that God used them to bring about his kingdom. They gave their lives away because they believed it was worth it. Matthew 10, 39, Jesus tells us whoever finds his life, I'm sure Jesus did this, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. A life worth living is a life given away for the sake of Christ. So the question for us today is really, do you think it's worth it? Do you think it's worth it? The way in which we view the struggle against this world and the powers of this world in order to bring about the kingdom, the way in which you view that struggle, struggle will define how you live your life, will de define you. It will define the quality of your life. Is it worth it to follow Jesus or not? So Saul, soon to be known as Paul, gladly gave his life away for the sake of the kingdom, and he gladly gave his life away for the mission of God in order to play his part in God's redemptive purposes for the world. But we're also gonna see this morning that for others, the price was too high. It was too much for them. They didn't want it. They just wanted to go back to living for themselves. So our text is really in four sections today. It's really all about the church on the move. The church on the move. The first section uh, of our text in chapter 13 is the commission of the church. Look at chapter 13, verse one. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, 
Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This is an incredibly diverse group of leaders. I love that. That's that the church should reflect every nation, tribe, and tongue. And that's what's happening here in Antioch. You got Barnabas, he's from a Greek island, Cyprus. And then you got two guys of African origin, Simeon and Lucius. Then you have Manaen. He must be a rich kid because he grew up in the king's house, apparently. This, all this diverse that become one family in the body of Christ. And of course, you have the great rabbi Saul, Saul of Tarsus, trained by the best rabbi of all time, Gamaliel, an expert in the law. And these guys become the church staff at Antioch. They're teaching they're prophesying about the truth of the gospel, about the reality of what God is doing in this world. And what's going on in verse two? When the Spirit commissions Barnabas and Saul to go, what are they doing? What's happening when the Spirit speaks to them? The church is worshiping and fasting. Worship leads to service in the kingdom. Worship is both the fuel and the goal of missions. Look at this graphic here. Worship compels us to go and serve. Worship, when we see and taste the goodness and the greatness of our God, when we understand the grace that he's lavished on us, we want to share that with others. We want to go out and be a part of what God is doing. And then here's the cool thing. When we serve, when we share, I was talking with Steve about this this week. When we get to share the gospel with other people, it reminds us of the greatness of God. And we just give God the glory. It's a beautiful cycle, and I just want to get lost in this. I want our church to get caught up in worship and in service. Ministry, evangelism, all these things feed out of worship. And you just want to get caught in that cycle where you are seeing the greatness, savoring the greatness of God, and you're going forth and sharing that greatness, and then you're giving God the glory, and then you're going, and then you're giving God the glory. It's just a great way to live. Here's the thing, uh, and, and what we're gonna see in this section here is that they're going because they understand the greatness of their God. And who sent them? Who commissioned them exactly? Was it the church? No, it was God, the Spirit. He did it through the church, expressed by the laying on of hands. Remember in the Old Testament, when someone made a sacrifice, what would they do? They'd put their hands on the animal as a way of identifying with that animal. When the church lays their hands on Paul and Barnabas, it's like I put my hands on Trey and Anna. I wore a mask, but I, I wanted to commission them by identifying with them that we as a church are sending them as an extension of our own evangelism and ministry efforts. That's what the church does with these missionaries. They are laying hands on them to show we're with you, brothers. We're going with you. As you go, we go too and we're praying for you, and we're supporting you, and you're just an extension of our own ministry. If kids and babies cry today, it's great, okay? It doesn't bother me at all. I was a youth pastor for 12 years. I promise it won't be the worst thing that's happened while I'm speaking. Look at verse four. Here's the next section, uh, the mission of the church. We have the co-mission of the church. Now we're gonna look at the mission of the church. Verse four, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. John Mark, remember the, the young intern who's gone along with them. And this is the guy, again, who's from Jerusalem, but 
he's a young guy and he's kind of on a mission uh, internship now with Paul and Barnabas. And it's, it's cool to see here how obedient they all are to God's call. They hear the Spirit say go, and what do they do? They, they jump in a boat, and they set sail for what they're going to find. I love hearing stories um, from our church missionaries like Dr. Bert Dyson, who's here today. I love to hear about what they did. You know, in the 1950s, Dr. Dyson and Ruth, his wife, heard the Spirit say go to Africa and be a part of what I'm doing there. They had a six-month-old baby, little Joellen, and they said, okay, God. And when you think go to Africa, we think hop on a plane. No, they got on a steamship and went across the Atlantic on a steam, a freighter with a six-month-old baby. It's incredible. They just went. They were obedient because the Spirit said go. Jan Bennett over here, her and her husband Mike had great careers in nursing and in law. And then they said, the Spirit's saying go. So they went with the IMB to Venezuela and they worked with young professionals there who were lost and searching for purpose, and they shared the gospel with them. Obedience to the Spirit's call is what we're talking about, just like Saul and Barnabas and John Mark obeyed. I love maps. Let me show you on the map. It'll be on the screen here where they went. Antioch's up here. Jerusalem's way down here. This is Judea, and they went west to Seleucia. They sailed for Salamis, and this is Cyprus is Barnabas' hometown. This is where he's from. He knows kind of the lay of the land, and, you know, he, they all speak Greek, so it's nice. He's, he's one of those Hellenistic Jews that you see. And they're going to make their way west across the entire island, preaching the gospel in the synagogues. And I love this John Mark guy. I bet he was pumped to go with Saul and Barnabas on a mission trip. I know a lot of young people and older people, too. I know, John, you love mission trips, man. You want to go. You're itching. I know. I am, too. Uh, I love to travel and see new places. I bet John Mark was like, sweet, we're going to Cyprus. I hear it's beautiful. You know, he's ready for the adventure of a lifetime. He's ready to travel and hang out with these amazing men of God. But what happens? They go across the entire island west, and nothing worth noting happens. They're just preaching the gospel in these synagogues and nothing happens until they reach the complete opposite shore in Paphos, the capital city of Cyprus. That brings us to the third section in this narrative. We've had the commission of the church. We've had the mission of the church. Now we're gonna see some opposition to the church. Look at verse six. When they'd gone through the whole island, <laughs> I think Luke's making a point, through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So they meet in Paphos two very different men, one is Sergius Paulus, the Roman governor in the area. He's a man of intelligence, which means understanding. He's a man who's really seeking the truth. He's had it with the pagan Roman gods. He knows they're not doing anything for him. They're not fulfilling that life that he's looking for. And he's given up on the materialism of this world and the quest for more power and to rise in the ranks of the Roman government. He wants something true to build his life on. So he's been hanging around this Bar-Jesus guy. Maybe he's got 
the answers. Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus or son of salvation. It could be that this guy uh, claimed to be the spiritual descendant of Jesus Christ, of Jesus of Nazareth. Elemas means skilled one, and apparently he was a very skilled magician. But remember, when we talk about magicians here in Acts, we're not talking about like a fun Vegas show, right? We're talking about this weird, dark mixture of like tricks and uh, illusions, but also mixing that with trying to summon demonic forces and evil forces. It was a very dark and twisted type of magic is what we're talking about here. So it's spiritual warfare that Saul and Barnabas are entering into this fight, a spiritual war in the, the spiritual realm. Bar-Jesus wants to keep his influence over Cyprus and over Sergius Paulus, and he's willing to use everything available, even demonic forces, in order to oppose the gospel. And that brings us to the last section. We're going to see the victory of the church. Look at verse 9. Saul, who was also called Paul, here we go. He's Paul now for the rest of the, the book of Acts and the rest of the Bible. He's called Paul. Why? Just because that's his Latin name and he's now in Gentile world. So he's not going by his Hebrew name anymore. He's dropped that and he's going by his Roman name. Saul, who's called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Do you know anybody who has an intense stare, an intense gaze? I bet Paul did, man. I bet he won every staring contest. I bet he could stare a hole through somebody. He's such an intense and passionate kind of guy. So Paul's staring at him, and he says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you stop, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Paul doesn't sugarcoat anything, does he? You son of a devil. He's not being nice or polite, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit, verse nine says. Why is he saying these things? Because he's discerned spiritually that Bar-Jesus is caught up in all kinds of evil. He's full of evil. This guy had been corrupting the good plans of God for the people of Cyprus for a long time. Bar-Jesus was bringing hell to earth, not heaven. He was making crooked the straight paths of the, the Lord. And yes, we're supposed to be loving. And yes, God loves us and he fills us with love. But as G. Campbell Morgan said, the spirit of love is a spirit of fire. Sometimes that fire nurtures and warms. And other times that spirit of love and fire can break down what is evil around us. That's what happens here. Look at verse 11. Behold, the, the hand of the Lord is upon you, he says to Bar-Jesus, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon Bar-Jesus, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. This is the love that, of God on him to change his heart. So then what happens in verse 12? Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. We got our first convert. All right. They've gone across the entire island, and they got one convert. How many people did Dr. Dunn lead to the Lord in, in, in Guatemala? It was like, you know, 15, 20. You know, who had a more successful mission trip? Us or Saul and Barnabas? This is the, this is the first 
missionary journey of Paul. He's got one convert after preaching across an entire island. Would the church in Antioch be pleased? Would they consider that a success? Would uh, they be embarrassed? Would Saul be frustrated? The Bible tells us when, when Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who comes home. Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one. This guy has gone from death to life, both now and forever. It's a billion year success story. He's gonna be together with us in glory for eternity. That's a success. Was it worth it? Yes, it has to be worth it for this billion year investment. One convert. Now, how did John Mark take it? <laughs> John Mark was probably used to success. He had high hopes for this trip, I'm sure. He'd seen the revival break out in Antioch and seen how God planted this great church there. How did he take it? Verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. He said, I'm out. I'm done. I've had it. I'm not having any fun. We didn't get to see anything cool. I'm not getting any credit. Saul and Barnabas won't let me do anything. Treat me like some kid. I'm not having any fun. It's just, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to go back to my friends, to my big house, and be comfortable and enjoy myself. I get it. There's days when we all feel like giving up, right? Not every day is fun. Paul and Barnabas had set sail for Perga now, where there were huge cliffs that threatened to shipwreck anybody coming that way. And malaria, we know, was rampant in this region at this time. So John Mark bails. Paul considered him a deserter. Look at chapter 15. We'll get there in a couple weeks. Chapter 15, verses 37 and 38. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take them with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Paul says, that guy's he's a, he's a deserter. He's a bailer. He's someone who just gives up when the going gets tough. You know, that reminds me of a guy in the Bible called Demas. He's only mentioned a few times in the Bible. D-E-M-A-S. In Philemon, Paul says that Demas is a fellow worker with him. He's He's a co-laborer in the gospel ministry that Paul's doing. He's, you know, a, a part of Paul's missionary team. That, that'd be an amazing opportunity, right? But something tragic happens. I don't know what, but, but Demas decided this isn't worth it. And he bailed on Saul, on Paul. Look at what Paul told young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. He said, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. What a tragic story. Demas, who was once a co-laborer in the gospel work, has now become Demas the deserter. And why? Because he was in love with this present world. This is why Jonathan Edwards prayed, O oh Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. I want to have an eternal billion-year perspective. This life is short, but Demas was in love with this life, with this world, not the one to come. 
His citizenship was rooted firmly in this life, not in the one to come. He was not a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. He was a citizen of where he had fun, where he was comfortable, where he liked to be here in this earth. What a tragic story. It reminds me, I mean, I know like our youth are too young to have seen The Matrix and some of y'all are, are too old to have seen, I guess, I don't know. But I used to, I was talking to Travis about how every illustration in youth group was about The Matrix when we were growing up. I think it's rated R too, so don't watch it. Um, don't go home and, and watch it, uh, by the way. But do you remember this guy? Anybody remember this guy? What's his name? Anybody know? Cypher. Remember Cypher? It's the same story. Cypher's this guy who, in, in the world of the Matrix, it's a post-apocalyptic setting. The computers have taken over the world, and they've got a big war with the humans, and they've killed most of the humans, and the rest of them they put into these pods where they sleep all the time, and they, they use their power, the humans' gen electricity that they generate. And while they're in the pods, to keep them sedated, they plug their brains into the Matrix, which is a fake world, a fake existence. But in the Matrix, there's, you know, food and, and some fun things to do. Uh, and so they have this kind of entertainment. But people who get woken up from the Matrix, who get unplugged from the Matrix, find themselves in this gray reality where they're at war with the machines that are controlled by computers. And it's not a real fun place, reality. It's not easy. They're, getting, they're losing the war. It's a tough place to live. So this guy, Cypher, gets unplugged from the matrix, and he says, I wanna go back. I just wanna go back. I know it's fake. I just wanna go back to the matrix. That's what Demas did. Demas said, I just wanna go back to Jerusalem. It was, it was easy there. I have some friends there. It was fun there. I don't wanna do this mission thing anymore. Keep reading. There's some surprising good news in 2 Timothy chapter four. Do your best to come to me soon, he says to Timothy, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me, gone to Thessalonica, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, that's John Mark, get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. How redemptive is that? Apparently, John Mark grew up he grew up physically, yes, but he also grew up spiritually. And he was able to become used by God in a mighty way, useful to Paul in his ministry. Praise God for second chances. If you're here today and, and you've said, this whole Christianity thing, I'm kind of done with it. I'd rather just focus on this life now. There's a second chance. God's not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. Praise God for that. Maybe you are in that boat today where you just say, I just want to live for myself. It's easier. I just want to follow the things of this world and not really have to die to myself and live for others. I'd rather just live for myself. It's simpler. Do you really want to settle for the crooked roads, the crooked paths of our consumer culture that can never really satisfy? Do you really want to settle for what you can get on this earth? Or are you ready to join the mission of God to be used in mighty ways that you could never believe or imagine? Are you ready to help God make straight the crooked ways of this world in which we live? Is it worth it to you? 
to join Jesus? Is it worth it to you to join your life to Christ, knowing it's gonna cost you everything to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Are you ready to do that today? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have called us, that you have commissioned us, that you have sent us to those who are lost and searching. You have sent us as, as sheep among wolves into this world where we get a chance to play our part in making straight the crooked ways of our culture, the crooked ways of our sin-wrecked world. God, we pray that you would use us both individually and corporately as Woodmont Baptist Church to bring about your good intentions for this world, to bring about your kingdom, to make earth more like heaven and less like hell. God, we know it's gonna cost us more than we could ever imagine. We know it will cost us our lives. Lord, I pray that we would willingly lay down our lives, just as we sang earlier, take my life, it's all for you. Because we know that in doing so, we actually find our lives. Selfishly, God, I know that if I can give my life to you, I'm gonna live the most abundant life possible and flourish and thrive by not spinning my wheels, like Evan said, trying to just keep up my appearance. Oh God, help us to get over ourselves, help us to get over our own comfort in order to play our part in your mission. We pray these things in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Obviously, the invitation is gonna look a little different today. We're not gonna invite you to come forward, but we are gonna ask you to consider right now in your heart, what is it that God is calling you to? What is it that the Lord is sending you to do in order to be part of his mission today? Are you willing to do it? Is it worth it? If you've never accepted Christ, if you've never surrendered all that you are to Christ, there's no better time to do so than right now. If you're watching at home, call the number on the screen. If you're not watching at home, I'm gonna be out in the North Breezeway. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to become a Christian. Maybe you're ready to join the church. Our newest member, Emily Plunkett's here today. Uh, she joined the church over Zoom uh, during a business meeting, a virtual business meeting. If you wanna be a part of what God's doing, I talked to one person who's here today who hadn't been here in a long time and he's back. It's fantastic. If you wanna be a part of what God's doing through Woodmont, come find me out here in the breezeway and, and talk to me from six feet away with your mask on and we will talk about what it looks like. We're gonna sing uh, another song of commitment. We're gonna ask you to stand and sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, come what may, I'm gonna follow Jesus. Will you sing that from your heart today? Let's stand and sing.